You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident fanalist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore daddy. So today, we're going to talk about the rest of the news that I didn't get to yesterday. Also today, I'm going to be dealing with a lot of people who just refuse to not die on that hill. Because that's what we do now. We can't just look at it and say there's a lot of overlap. There's stuff that I believe that he believes, and the things that I believe are good. No, 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 no. Everybody that believes what I believe is a perfect human being. He represents what I believe, therefore he can do literally whatever he wants and I'll support him. And you can't pretend that's not what's happening right now. Without naming specific politicians, because you don't need to, you can pick literally any one. Almost all of them have done some pretty terrible things, but you know what? Everybody's going to defend them to the death, because that's my team. Whatever. At the end of the day, it's about where you're signing your name. I'm not signing my name on some of this stuff. You want to go to the grave with your name signed on all that stuff because you're more interested in the team than your own name? That's on you, man. Go die on that hill. Anyways, that's what I get to do today is redo everything I did yesterday because everyone's going to just want to argue rather than listening to what I already said. He wasn't benched. He's a great quarterback. His completion percentage was high. Blah, blah, blah. Before we get into uh, all the news and notes, though, be sure to check out Packernet.com for all your news, notes, and information. NFLBigBoard.com for all your uh, draft, I don't know, stuff. Be sure to jump in the Facebook group. And also, I just want to say, um, even though I haven't been pushing Patreon or any of the donations anymore because there's ads, and I feel like that would be obnoxious to hit you up for money while I'm also doing this thing. However, there are still a lot of people that are supporting me through Patreon, so even though I'm not going to ask you for anything... I really want to thank everybody that's that's staying on board with Patreon. Um, I haven't seen a dime from anything, and there's not going to be very much money. So it's still very, very helpful, and I really appreciate all the support for the work that I put in. So I just wanted to highlight those guys that are sticking on board. Um, and again, I am going to be releasing, maybe I'll work on that today. We're going, going to the circus today, so I don't know what uh, my timeline is going to look like. But I'll try to crank that out. Uh, i got a lot of stuff I want to try to do. But I need to start getting some content in there to support the supporters. But uh, again, just wanted to say thank you for that. Anyone that is interested in that, you can see the links in the description. I would especially encourage you to get on Patreon if you decided to do something. Um, the $5 a month option is uh, the one where you can uncover all the articles and everything else that I'm putting in there. I should probably try to do something else because I'm kind of slow for that. wonder if I can do like a... Like a group chat or a hangout or something. I don't know. Whatever. Enough rambling. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now. Introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view 
on all possible cards and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy slab packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. So first of all, there were a few hires by the Green Bay Packers, some low-level stuff, but still interesting because it's the offseason and there's literally nothing to talk about. So a hiring, two hirings, <laughs> amazing. But the uh, first one is Mr. Kevin Kroger. He played uh, tight end in college. It looks like, uh, I'm trying to follow along here, he jumped from that straight into the coaching realm, and he's been coaching in college for quite some time. Uh, according to this article by NBC Sports, he has been uh, coaching at the collegiate level, it looks like, since about 2013. So he jumped to high school coaching for a year, jumped into uh, at Michigan 2013-2014, which, by the way, is his alma mater. That's where he played tight end. Jumped over to coaching at Tennessee and then Eastern Kentucky as a uh, wide receiver slash special teams coach. He's coming to Green Bay as a uh, offensive quality, what do they call it, quality control. So it actually, it's really not that insignificant. I think I've referenced on this podcast a couple times about this guy, and it was one of those NFL shows that are awesome, the kind of a peek behind the curtain kind of deal. But there's this guy that the Patriots and and, um, Bill Belichick have said has just completely... Um, invaluable to the team, like super valuable dude. He's been there since forever, real old guy. But he kind of just, he's in this office and he's got all these books and everything all kind of crazy. And he's basically going in just combing through all the stats and all the scenarios and all this stuff. And he basically preps teams for upcoming opponents, breaking down every single thing that there is to know about the upcoming opponent. That's essentially what a quality control coach is. So it is a very important position because while the head coach and all these other coaches are, are kind of on an island focusing on what they need to focus on, right? The head coach has a lot of things to focus on as far as big picture stuff. The, you know, co- individual coaches are focused on, you know, maybe a little bit more uh, zoomed in on this particular opponent and this and that and the other. But when, when we turn the attention from last week to the next week, one of the first things they're going to do is go talk to the offensive quality control coach who's been breaking down this particular opponent for about two to three weeks. And uh, saying, all right, give me a report on this team. Let me know what's going on. So it's it's pretty important because that's maybe I'm kind of making half of this up. I don't know the exact schedule of how it works. I'm sure it varies from team to team. But that's he's the guy that has sort of that jumping off point, right? Tell me everything that there is to know about this team that's coming up. Their their tendencies, their how often are they in this personnel? What do they do when you know when you're in this? How do they react to it? Everything everything broke down to a T. He's the one that kind of looks at it. Now, some of the grunt work as far as um, maybe breaking all that down, I'm not sure how much of that is his job and how much of that is some other underling kind of doing that work. Maybe it's him, I don't know. But his job is to, is to kind of gather all this stuff together. So it is a very important position. The other uh, p- 
position that was filled here is Mr. Jason Vrabel. Obviously, the last name kind of sounds familiar. Uh, I don't know for sure. There's nothing really outlined that says there's any real connection. But considering Mike Vrabel is the um, head coach of the Tennessee Titans, where our new head coach was the offensive coordinator, you kind of assume, I mean, Vrabel isn't exactly Smith as far as last names go. There's going to be some connection there. We'll read a little blurb here, uh, again, from the NBC Sports article. Vrabel enters his seventh season as an assistant coach in the NFL. He served as an offensive assistant for the Jets the past two seasons. He also has worked for the Bills, spending three seasons as an offensive quality control coach from 2013 to 2015, and then as an assistant quarterbacks coach in 2016. He was interim running backs uh, coach late in 2016 season when the team prompted Anthony Lynn to offen- promoted Anthony Lynn to offensive coordinator. So again, I don't really know what exactly that job is. Um, I, I kind of assume it's a little higher than quality control only because it says he was quality control before he became an offensive assistant. So I, I don't know. Who knows? But we hired him. So, you know, news. Um, another thing I wanted to highlight pretty briefly, and it's probably something you already saw, uh, Dusty Evely over at um, Cheesehead TV did a breakdown for every single one of his throwaways. And I kind of echo the sentiments of what everybody else has said, that he did a pretty fantastic job looking at that. But um, I'm actually going to read the Packers Wire article by Zach Cruz because he kind of summarizes the summary. So, again, I would encourage you, if you haven't done it yet, to go look at the actual article written by Dusty Evely because, again, it's it's pretty comprehensive and pretty awesome. Still some questions about Rodgers a little bit. You know, for example, there were issues where, you know, on, on one play in particular, and it's hard to tell because, you know, Dusty does his best to kind of try to figure out what exactly is, is supposed to be going on right now, but it's kind of hard to say. But you look at, for example, there was one play in particular where he kind of pump fakes, and the idea is to draw the linebacker down to free up, I think it was Equinemius, maybe Marquez, I don't know, one of the two. Well, it worked. Shortly after, there was pressure coming from the outside. Well, Rogers steps up and evades it, and what he does is rather than looking at Marquez, we'll just say it was Marquez, who we assume was meant to be the the primary guy, which is why he did the pump fake, he looks at Devontae, who's just standing still, and he kind of stares at him for like two or three seconds. And then more pressure comes, and then he has to scramble, and then he throws it away. So it's, it's kind of one of those things where it's hard to tell. Did Rodgers kind of mess up? Maybe, you know, in the midst of panic, what are you going to do? I'm not looking up at, at Marquez. I'm just looking at my guy who should just be standing over here. I can't really throw it. So, you know, it was just sort of a, a safety net response. I trust this guy, so I'm going to him. But still some questions, and it, even beyond that, you know, what what is supposed to be the thought process? Was he supposed to do that? Maybe that's sort of a McCarthy offensive coordinator situation. It, 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 bottom line is this could have been a very, very big play that wasn't, and I don't really know why. Granted, pressure was a problem, but everybody faces pressure. A lot of quarterbacks, pressure comes, you step up in the pocket, you throw the ball. That didn't happen here. Why didn't that happen? Right, he stepped up, he evaded the pressure. There's a wide-open guy running right down the field didn't throw it. Not only because he didn't look there primarily, but he kind of was staring down Devontae who was just standing there. He could have looked over there and then looked this way, but you could just feel the panic. Eventually, like he just started to turn and look that way, but then he had to run. So it was there's no way he's going to be able to throw that pass by the time it gets there. Anyways, whatever. Bottom line is lots of problems, um, and clearly not all of them are Aaron Rodgers' fault. But let me uh, skip down to the third paragraph here of the uh, USA Today article. It says, of the 59 throwaways, Evely found 23 to be direct result of immediate pressure and another 21 the result of no one being open. So that's 44 of 59. That's a lot, man. That's a lot. 
Especially when you consider, I don't, I don't even know what, uh, I guess I could look it up. No, I don't want to. I, I, I'd be willing to bet 44 was in and around the second highest amount of throwaways that anybody else had. 44 were the direct result of people either not being open or pressure. That's really bad. I'm going to skip a couple more paragraphs. There was one paragraph in between that kind of talked about throwing the fact that he has a knee injury, you know, kind of adds to it, obviously. But it says, the pressure category highlights one of the Packers' biggest roster holes entering the offseason. Evilly counted middle pressure as the primary factor on over 61% of the throwaways caused by pressure. So there were, he broke it down into several different kinds of pressure. Um, I, again, he did a pretty good job of kind of trying to segment what belongs in what category. But again, when 61%, and, and, and there's, you know, again, there's, there's several different kinds of middle pressure. There's some where it's like somebody's coming and boom, he throws it because he's about to get smoked. There's sometimes where he gets to break the pocket and then it becomes, okay, why isn't somebody getting open? You talk about communication things. But the bottom line is, once that pressure comes up the middle, the play kind of broke down. Now, it'd be nice if they could figure out a way to make it work after the fact, and we've talked about that and how the wide receivers don't seem to be on the same page, blah, 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 blah. But this shouldn't be happening. 61% of his throwaways. He goes on to say that stat aligns nicely with the Packers' need at guard. Far too often in 2018, Rodgers, who knew he wasn't capable of escaping danger as easily as in the past, had to drop his eyes and deal with immediate pressure from the interior, blowing up a potential positive passing down play. Now, I want to stop there and... And think about this, because part of the problem we had is, why doesn't he get the ball out quicker? Well, it's kind of hard when you've got pressure, right? I mean, if the intention is, I want to get the ball out on my first read, and maybe that read's about to be there, you know, it's just a quick little slant route, but if somebody's coming up the middle, and I have to break the pocket, all those early routes are gone, and maybe you try to get your eyes downfield and, and look at the deep route to see if you can come all the way across your body and heave it down the field, if he's even open. Otherwise, you're looking for these guys who just ran simple routes to try to improvise and come open. That also can be a problem with the current team and the current um, head coach, Lafleur, if that is sort of the plan to get the ball out quicker. Now, granted, if you can get it out in two seconds, you're probably not going to deal with that much pressure. But if you have consistent issues with pressure coming up the middle, you just you can't get into that rhythm. In other words, yes, they do need to get better along the interior, which is something we've known for a long time. But seeing these numbers is pretty awesome. So obviously that's a big one. And then again, something else we've been talking about quite a bit is getting that second wide receiver to kind of help, whether it's a wide receiver or a tight end or even a running back in, in the pass game. 21 times, Evely pointed out, Rodgers had to throw the ball away due to no players being open down the field. Again, there are, there are quarterbacks who totaled 21 total throwaways on the season, I'm assuming. I don't I should look it up, but I just don't want to. So it is a problem, and they, they've got to figure it out. And hopefully the new head coach can find ways with the team that we have to improve this. This is something hopefully he's already working on. I'm sure he is breaking down 2018, some of the problems. Hopefully that creativity that he has can highlight some of these issues and say, you know, if we tweak this or tweak that, again, with the roster we have, Here's how we can get better. Because the benefit of that is now we don't have to go into free agency in the draft saying either we fix this or we're done. right? The GM has to try to find it from the other perspective. He has to look at it and say, these are the holes that need to get fixed. But as a head coach, you've got to look at it and say, with the team I have, how do I fix this? And again, with the, the b- biggest benefit of that is that if you can try to come up with those things, we don't have to stress so much about free agency in the draft. It's not a matter of either we fix this or we're doomed. Right? If we don't address the you know, wide receiver or guard position in the first four rounds, we're just doomed. 
I mean, we might be, but the hope is this new staff gets in and says, how do we fix these problems? What was McCarthy doing wrong that we can do right to fix those issues? Because if, if we're throwing the ball away this much again, there's problems, right? This doesn't just happen. It can't be a coincidence that it's this much. And it'll be a pretty good indi- indicator, too, as we move forward. And we can just feel it, too. Whether it's throwaways or anything else, there, there's a certain rhythm that Packers fans are used to in the Aaron Rodgers offense. And we're going to know pretty quickly if we're feeling that rhythm, if the offense is moving in, in, in a rhythm or not. But anyways, again, go check out the article. It was well done. There were a couple other articles. Um, one of them, I think, was behind a paywall, so I don't really care. The title will suffice. And another one written by uh, PackersTalk.com. The Packers Talk article by Max Sachs, which is a phenomenal name, by the way, is titled, Josh Rosen as a successor to Aaron Rodgers? It goes on to highlight a couple things. First of all, there's been a lot of speculation as to whether or not the Arizona Cardinals will take Kyler Murray. He acknowledges in the article that they said they're not going forward with that, that they're going to stick with Rosen, but goes on to say not only is it possible, which it is, there's a slight possibility, but still... There's no guarantee he's going to be the future quarterback for, you know, the future. So the question then is, would he be a good fit for the Packers? Now, there's a couple things, and I'll kind of lump in the Kyler Murray talk about whether or not it would be worthwhile to take him. Let's just say, because there's a lot of talk about, oh, there's going to be a ton of quarterbacks that go. They might not, though. There is a question, what if Kyler Murray or Drew Locke or Haskins or one of these guys does fall to 30? Is it possible the Packers pull the trigger? So I guess I'm going to take this article as well as the other article and some other general thoughts that might be out there and ask the question, would the Packers ever take a quarterback at pick 30? I, I, I'm going to rule it out at 12 just because I don't want to go that far, even though I probably shouldn't rule it out at 12. And here's the reason that I bring it up. First of all, the, the Packers do not have a number two quarterback. That's a fact. Um, perhaps Kaiser can really step up, right? Maybe with the new coaching staff, they can kind of work this out. I don't know. Maybe. You also have to factor in that it was this GM that traded to get Kaiser, so drafting a quarterback would kind of look bad for him to basically give up on Kaiser one year after giving up on Hundley. It's not a good look. With that said, however, I just want to remind everybody that when we picked Kevin King, as I've said several times now, that was our first pick in that draft. That was the first pick that we had in the entire draft. It was in the second round, but it was our first pick. Some people in that room wanted to take with the Packers' first pick in the draft with a ridiculous amount of needs. I mean, think how bad of a need cornerback was, linebacker was, everything. Lots of needs. Some people said, let's take a quarterback here. Obviously, they didn't. They went Kevin King, and there wasn't a riot in the streets of Wisconsin. But, I, I, you know, again, just a reminder, the Packers are not afraid to pull the trigger on a quarterback if that person does fall. I mean, Brett Hundley, they traded up to get him. What was that, the fourth round or fifth round? They saw a great value. They saw a guy fall. So I want to create a scenario here. Let's say Kyler Murray does fall. Some teams really like him. Some teams really don't. Maybe, let's say, some people think Kyler Murray's a bit of a project. So the only teams that would really take a swipe at them are teams that don't need a quarterback today. They're okay taking a developmental guy, whether it be the Steelers, the Patriots, um, I don't know, the Bengals maybe, whatever. But let's just say he falls to 30, and let's say the Packers view him of value as like a top 10 guy. He is this just freakish quarterback. He could be the guy. Do we think it's possible, just possible, that they pull the trigger if he's the top guy on their board? Let's also factor in we've got a new scheme. We've got this more modern-ish scheme. 
So when people tie Kyler Murray to places, they they like to try to tie him to places that kind of run this new scheme, right? They love bringing him in with Cliff Kingsbury because Cliff Kingsbury, um, you know, he's more modern college style offense. Is it possible? And I, I, listen, I'm not ta- don't don't think that I'm talking about replacing Aaron Rodgers. That's not what I'm saying. I'm talking about a backup. I'm talking about a potential, although a bit of a long shot, but a potential replacement. And if nothing else, a, a, a reliable backup that can be developed and traded. Now, I, I, I don't really like that because I don't even think we recoup a 30, even if he is really good. But I'm just pointing it out to say that maybe it's possible. And if Kyler Murray falls to 30, I'm going to be a little bit worried because I don't want him to do it, but they might do it. I would be pretty disappointed, but the, the media hype and circus around the Green Bay Packers would just be ridiculous. First of all would be the rampant speculation that we're moving on from Aaron Rodgers. Which, first of all, let's talk about that. It's very, very unlikely that we ever move on from Aaron Rodgers. But let's just, hypothetical, let's just hypothetically look at it again. And I, if I didn't upset you yesterday, I'm probably going to upset you today. But again, I'm not advocating for Aaron Rodgers getting cut. I think he's a great quarterback. I think we're fine. But let's just play along for a minute. Because some people are saying, let's trade him. 2019, there's no way he's getting trade, traded. There w- <laughs> we would be in the... We, we can't afford to cut him. We would take a $52.4 million negative cap save. It would be it would be a $79 million cap hit to cut him. That's what it would cost. It's $26.5 million we have to pay him to stay, $78.9 to cut him. Can't happen. Similarly, in 2020, $32.6 million we have to pay him to stay, which is a lot. $54 million if we want to cut him. Now, beyond that, in 2021, this is when it becomes a question. Now, this is just a hypothetical, and I'm absolutely not suggesting this is going to happen. I'm just throwing it at you. So just please play along. Let's just say 2019 doesn't go very well, and he's still got a lot of questions, and there's still a lot of issues, right? Last year, some people just started asking questions about what's wrong with Aaron Rodgers. Why is this happening? We've all kind of figured out, okay, Mike McCarthy was a problem. Wide receivers are a problem. Offensive line is a problem. The scheme is a problem. All these things. We've removed a few of those excuses. The coaches are not a problem. If we go out and get wide receivers and offensive linemen in the draft and in free agency and help this offense and things still don't look good in 2019, that speculation is going to keep ramping up. 2020 rolls around. What if it happens? Again, we're talking about three straight years of adding talent to this offense and Aaron Rodgers still doesn't look good. Going into 2021, Aaron Rodgers would be 38 years old. We would have to pay him $33.5 million to play $23 million in dead cap if we cut him, meaning we would save $10.5 million moving forward. Not not moving forward. We would save 10.5 in 2021 if we traded him. And by the way, trading Aaron Rodgers, regardless of how poorly he's played, is going to recoup a ton of value. In 2022, we would pay him $37 million. So if we got rid of him, traded him in 2021, then we would save all of that $37 million. Which, by the way, if we did draft a quarterback in 2029, let's just say Kyler Murray, in 2022, that would be his fourth year. In 2021, that would be his third year. So if we got rid of him, we're in year three with Kyler Murray. Again, completely hypothetical. Please relax. It's year three with Kyler Murray or Drew Haskins or whoever. We've got some value and we have a massive amount of cap space because we just cleared out $10.5 million. And in 2022, we have a total of $37 million in addition, plus a quarterback still on his rookie contract. I'm just saying. 
worst possible scenario for the Green Bay Packers, for all of us as fans, is that there's a deeper issue with Aaron Rodgers. That despite all of us defending him, and I will defend him throughout this season, if things continue to go poorly, that's problematic. Now, granted, no reason to jump this year. If things go poorly again this year, guess what? We're going to draft probably relatively high again, 12 to 15. To, let's just say somewhere between 10 and 20, probably. Worst case scenario, we're in the top 10. But next year, supposedly a pretty good quarterback class. At that point, guess what everybody's talking about next year? Quarterback. So I know it's, it's completely out in left field and it doesn't make any sense. But just understand, we are one bad Aaron Rodgers season away from everybody saying the Packers need a quarterback. One bad season away. That's That's... That's kind of scary to me because I'm looking at it going, dude, we got Rodgers all the way through 2023, and then we have to worry about getting a quarterback and possibly this thing falling apart. I hope that's true. I really hope that's true. But anyways, I'm, I'm every once in a while when I do this, I would love for this to be interactive, and this is one of those moments. So if you're listening, get in the Facebook group, hit me up on Twitter, you know, whatever, call in or text in that uh, that phone number. It's in the description. Do you necessarily... Okay, so many questions. First of all, your opinion if we got a quarterback. What gut reaction right off the bat if we drafted a quarterback? Let's just... Let's say second round. Whatever. 30, second round, whatever. Not super crazy at 12, but a little more early than seems necessary for a team that has Aaron Rodgers and also just traded for, uh, for Kaiser. Instant reaction there. Second question. If Aaron Rodgers is not better this year. We have issues with him not throwing to open receivers. We have a ton of throwaways. We have the attitude issues. We have the seemingly this this uh, not great relationship between him and the new coach. Whatever, right? Things don't seem better. The things that we assume are going to get fixed, whatever in your mind you're assuming or hoping is going to get fixed, let's say it doesn't. Where are you at? Because at that point, I'm worried, and I kind of expressed to you, and I, I, I don't know. I'm not saying we need to dump him, trade him, whatever. But I'm getting a little worried, and I am to the point where I feel like we should look at a quarterback if we haven't yet. As much as I hate to even think about that, let's think about that. So I'm curious where you're at with that. Would you say if 2019 is a complete flop and we, we can't really put... I mean, I don't, I, maybe I'm getting way in the weeds here, but let's say we did get Antonio Brown and we did draft offensive linemen and the defense did improve and the... Uh, you know, there doesn't seem to be a huge scheme issue. Maybe a lot. Of, there would probably be two camps. There would be the let's dump Aaron Rodgers camp, and then there would be the Lafleur was a garbage hire camp would be my guess. But I'm just curious because, I honestly, I hadn't really even contemplated this. It never occurred to me that there would ever be another quarterback beyond Rodgers. Um, I mean, I barely touched on it, but it's, it's at least crossed my mind to some degree beyond his contract. I've never really considered the option, even though there are people talking about we should trade Aaron Rodgers. You just kind of get together and laugh at those people. But I guess in my mind, there is a situation, again, in which in 2021 we're having that conversation. I don't want to think about that conversation, but uh, again, the question or a question for you would be, at what point does that become an actual question for you? What would need to happen? Could that happen this year, or do you think it would take multiple years? Would you ever jump off the Aaron Rodgers, Rodgers bandwagon, or would you just ride this thing into the ground? Again, for me, another bad year in which we continue to eliminate excuses, because that's essentially what we did with Mike McCarthy, right? It's like, well, Dom Capers is the problem. Well, this is the problem. This is the problem. We took away all uh, Mike McCarthy's excuses, and everything fell apart even further, and it kind of got to the point where it's like, all right, dude, there's no more excuses. You got to go. 
Aaron Rodgers, there's more than enough reasons that we can highlight from injuries to lack of players to terrible defenses to terrible coaches beyond the head coach to, you know, you could even go on to say not enough help in uh, free agency. Right, Jimmy Graham was a bad decision. We maybe probably would have been better keeping Jordy than to go out and get Jimmy Graham. I don't know. Could have added somebody that actually added some value. Again, a million reasons, a million excuses. But at what point do we start taking away the excuses and say, you know what, man? Maybe this is a deeper problem. So, that's a question. It's a very off-season type question where we get into the weeds a little bit. But, uh, yeah, it's uh, something to start thinking about, I guess. Uh, Next up on the agenda, there's a little bit of news around the NFL that could potentially impact uh, the Green Bay Packers, specifically regarding the free agent market. Uh, First of all, and I don't believe I touched on this, I did mention there there are other potential quarterbacks and teams that we need to watch out for that could, you know, lead to... Teams not taking quarterbacks in the draft, meaning they're taking quality players, meaning the Packers won't be getting those quality players pending a move up, which I want to talk about after this, but let's just uh, continue on. Uh, The news that broke, and it's not really breaking news, but it is seemingly like something's going on here. Um, Apparently there's mutual interest between the Jaguars and Nick Foles. Um, Jaguars don't currently have a ton of cap space, but they will once they move on from Blake Bortles, which they'll probably do. You could ask the question, then, what happens with Blake Bortles? Is he possibly going to get picked up by a team, and would that team feel... I I doubt it. You kind of get down to the point where it's like... I don't think you can say, we have Blake Bortles, we don't need to draft a quarterback now. I think we're beyond that. But, um, yeah, pretty relatively unfortunate news as far as the Packers, if they were to sit at 12. Um, Some other news, it's just, it's really ugly with the Steelers and with... um, Bell and Brown, and I think the sooner this ends, the better for everybody. But apparently, there is some indication that the um, Pittsburgh Steelers are going to use a transition tag on Le'Veon Bell. In other words, they're not just going to let him leave. Um, if, if you wanted to end things on positive terms, you would let him leave and pick which team he wants to go to. However, they're going to sign him, supposedly, to this transition tag, not because they have any intention whatsoever of keeping him, but what it would mean is that Bell would have to sign the tag and then um, some a team would make an offer on Bell, they would match that offer, and then trade him. Now, at the end of the day, it still means that Bell um, gets to go to a different team. I don't exactly know what that means as far as his total compensation. It probably means he's going to get less than if he was a free agent, which, again, is just really going to be not great for the Steelers as far as... I mean, listen, this this is... At the end of the day, players kind of stick together. Players look at it and they look out for each other because they're all just trying to make more money. And if you're a player and you're looking at the Steelers and how they're handling this situation with Le'Veon Bell, you're not happy with the Steelers. There's not a lot of players, I would bet, that are super happy with the Steelers. Regardless of how Le'Veon Bell handled it and it wasn't great, this is a, a, a decision that could directly impact Le'Veon's future, his earnings, his, his probably his last contract. He's not going to be able to play where he wants to play. And by allowing a team to simply say... You know, I'll give you 12 million bucks or whatever. And the Steelers go, okay, we'll match it. Boom, we get to keep him for 12. Then you get to trade him, and guess what? I believe, unless I'm not, if I'm not mistaken, you trade him to whatever team you want, and the price is for $12 million. Now, you could say maybe that the offers would come in and the offers would end up going up the same way that they would as a free agent, but you tend to feel like there's this sort of, you know, the there's not this need to give him whatever he wants. I don't know. Again, it could end up being a similar compensation to what he would get on the, uh, as a free agent, but it just feels like there's a good chance this could mean that 
whatever team ends up winning him could get it for quite a bit less money because it's not in Le'Veon Bell's hands. It's not in his his uh, his agent's hands to be able to handle negotiations and try to ramp up his cost. It's up to the Steelers. And the Steelers have no interest in ramping up his cost. They want it to be as low as possible so that they can match the offer sheet and then trade him away for a very low price because the less you can you can uh, tag him for, the more he's overall worth and the more you can get for him. I mean, if he gets tagged at, let's just say something ridiculous like $20 million, which it will never be that high, but let's say that's what it is, nobody's going to give you very much for that. If you can tag him at 12 and trade him, somebody will give you some pretty good compensation because Le'Veon Bell for $12 million is is worth some additional compensation. So it's in the best interest of the Steelers, as well as the other teams, for his contract to come in low. So, I, you know, as much as I look at Le'Veon Bell, I'm like, man, you didn't handle this very well, and I wish you wouldn't have done it this way. This is a shocking level of pettiness, which is the way that Roto World kind of explained this. I mean, maybe it's not even pettiness. Maybe it's just being a shrewd business, you know, businessman. Because it, it is going to be in the best interest of the team to do it this way. But I just don't think that overall, in the long run, this is the best way to handle it. I, I think you're you're going out of your way to do what's best for you at the expense of Le'Veon Bell. And um, again, teams looking to go sign with another team, there's a good chance they're going to look at the Steelers and say, I don't want my contract under their control if this is how they're going to handle their players. So, you know, I've, I've been relatively critical of the way that they've handled this situation, the way they handled uh, Antonio Brown. And listen, at, at the end of the day, if there's some belief that a lot of the problems between Brown and the Steelers is more on the Steelers than on Brown, as I mentioned yesterday, there's not a huge amount of off-the-field or on-the-field issues, right? He wasn't, um, he, he's not Odell Beckham on the field. There might, there might have been some little stuff or whatever, but he's not off, you know, getting into fighting matches with kicking nets. And as far as off the field, I mean, there seems to be more immaturity than anything, right? He's got a bunch of money and he flaunts it and he kind of pulls a lot of his weight around, but that's because there's no structure and he's been allowed to do that. I don't want to double back and say we should get him, but I'm just saying the more I look at the Steelers and say they're kind of the problem, the more I look at Le'Veon Bell and Antonio Brown and say maybe there's going to be a little bit better of a market than I would have originally thought, if we can assume that. But again, you look at Antonio Brown and the way he's handling this offseason, acting all goofy and doing all this wild stuff, it's not helping him. I think he probably should have just sat back and played the victim for the offseason, and he would have probably got a pretty sweet deal, which he's going to get anyway. So what am I even talking about? He's going to get paid. I guess I just wish he wasn't acting so crazy so I could still be saying I want to get Antonio Brown and banging that drum, because I do want Antonio Brown. just don't want to deal with the crazy, man. Don't want all the crazy. That's it. I can't wait for free agency. <laughs> because... To the very last day before he signs a contract with a team, I'm going to be telling you it's not the right move. While deep down inside, in the pit of my heart, there's this little Packer fan with his helmet on and his jersey and the whole outfit screaming for Antonio Brown. And the second the floodgates open, I'm going to be watching and seeing if there's any ties whatsoever. If the Packers even so much as make a phone call asking about a price, then we know that this is, this is real. Because if, if he's off your if he's off your board, we'll call it. If he if he's not even on your radar, you're not even going to bother calling. Why are you asking about his price? If you if there's anything, if Ian Rappaport says there's you know several teams interested in Antonio Brown, it's the the Raiders and the blah 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 and the Packers. It's like well there you go, game on. <laughs> Let's get it rocking, man. And that's around the corner. We'll see what happens. Oh, I just can I fast forward my life, please? I just just want to get to March and free agency. I'm so beyond excited for it. 
Um, a few people that were cut and released that are now free agents that I want to mention, first of all, is Brian Poole from the Falcons. I actually find that to be a little bit interesting. Uh, we don't really need a corner at this time, so I understand it's not a big need. But, I mean, we're looking at a guy that's 26 years old. Um, granted, he was a free... I mean, he's been decent. He's not a top-tier guy, but compared to a lot of really bad corners out there, he's kind of, I guess, mediocre. I'm not advocating for him, but I'm just saying... He's a young guy that's uh, not the worst option in the world. Uh, also, linebacker Brandon Marshall. So if you see anything that says Packers signed Brandon Marshall, you need to make sure you figure out which Brandon Marshall because currently wide receiver Brandon Marshall as well as linebacker Brandon Marshall, both of whom did play for the uh, same team at the same time for a little bit. But uh, the linebacker is now available. He's not really on my radar so much. I mean, it's definitely an option if we're looking at it and saying... I mean, if we move on from uh, Jake Ryan, which is a, a, an option, and um, essentially what we have is Blake Martinez and not a whole lot else, it's an option. I don't think he's very good. But again, if you see Brandon Marshall, make sure you figure out. Don't freak out and be like, dude, we got our wide receiver. He's kind of a bum, but it's awesome. And then find out that you're embarrassed because it's the linebacker. Uh, one of the bigger ones that was released was uh, Glover Quinn from the Detroit Lions. Now, I've, I've talked about him a little bit in the past, and he's he's the one guy that I mentioned that's has a really, really interesting, um, if you look at his pro football focus numbers, it, it's really weird how it happens. If you go back to 2012 with Houston, and I'm, I'm cutting out a few years just to kind of prove my point here, but he goes from medium, or <laughs> medium, mediocre to good to elite. Then in 2015, he goes from mediocre to good to elite. 2018, he was average again. So next year you would assume good, and then the year after that, elite. So <laughs> if we follow this train of logic, this would be a great time to go out and get him. In all seriousness, however, he has been an above-average guy for several years with the Detroit Lions. Uh, he is 33 years old, so he's getting up in age. But for the Green Bay Packers, we're talking about a divisional opponent, which is always extra appealing, in my opinion, especially if, when you go up against Detroit. you got an inside guy here, you know. But even so, even at his age and even at his worst, I think he's he's probably still going to be better than a lot of the guys that we have. He plays free safety as well as strong safety. Pretty versatile guy. I, I believe he's a little bit better of a strong safety than a free safety, but whatever. Again, it doesn't matter. Um, you know, you, you look at his numbers this past year, he didn't have a single interception. That is the first time since 2011 with the Houston Texans that he didn't get an interception. Um, his passer rating was 108.2. So, you know, the stats in general weren't super great. But again, this is a guy that fluctuates every single year. 2017, he graded out as elite. He was good against the run, he was he was decent at tackling, and he was elite as a cover safety, a coverage safety. That's 2017, man. So I would definitely consider him as an option. Uh, the, the Lions are doing it essentially because they need to save up a little bit of money. They're going to free up $6.25 million in cap space. When you factor in um, how many safeties there are right now, and there's a ton... And then you factor in the the devaluing of the safety position, and maybe it's kind of resurging a little bit, but you factor all that in, you look at the free agents, you figure Glover Quinn is way down the list, and it's not a... In other words, I think if we were to get him, we can get him super cheap. And in fact, we could probably get two safeties, Glover Quinn being the second, and I think Glover Quinn still starts over the guys we currently have. I mean, let's say we got somebody that, you know, whether it's Earl Thomas or one one of the top guys, we could probably get Glover Quinn for... I don't know, what, four or five million dollars? Not that that's super insignificant, but I mean, it's going to be not a lot at all. Uh, finally, another guy that was released is tight end Charles Clay. I know I'm kind of tired of that too, going out and getting these guys. Uh, Clay's 30 years old, so he would be another guy that's kind of getting up in age. 
Um, he is a pretty decent guy, but you look at 2018, he kind of fell off, and it's just one of those things where you look at it and say, you know, his 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 top end production kind of came at the end of his career in Miami. Then he goes to Buffalo, and it starts to taper off, and it finally falls off a cliff in 2018. And it would just be another scenario where he comes in, and everyone's talking about, yeah, but Aaron Rodgers, and then it doesn't really work out. So I'm telling you about it because it's a thing, but um, no would be my answer. So things are happening, man. And and Corey Legit, I forgot to mention it, he ended up, he did get cut. That was one of the guys that I said uh, the um, Chargers would probably get rid of to save a little bit of money. So these things are happening. Uh, a couple other guys real quick, Pierre Garçon and Bruce Ellington are both uh, options in free agency because the 49ers have declined Garçon's 2019 option and the Lions have released Bruce Ellington. I think Bruce Ellington would be the more appealing option. Maybe I'm wrong. Pierre Garçon is clearly the better player, but the age thing would be concerning. Ellington is a younger slot receiver. Kind of makes a little bit more sense. But anyways, the final thing I wanted to touch on, and this is kind of, I, I briefly mentioned it a second ago, but it was the idea of if the Packers stay at 12, but what if they don't? So there's been a lot of speculation about what teams are planning to do. Um, it's widely considered that Arizona will probably take um, Bosa as their first pick. Here's something I want to throw at you. I've already talked about if we decided to trade up. I think we get up to about four-ish if we trade away our first and our second. It's already being reported that the Packers are expected to go pretty heavy in free agency for the top edge-rushing prospects. I don't know who's going to be out there. I don't know what exactly that means as far as who we're going to go after. As best as I can tell, a lot of the super top end guys are going to get franchise tagged. I think D. Ford is going to stay behind. I think um, Jadavian Clowney is going to be staying behind. I think uh, this is another guy that's a really big name. I'm pretty sure he's going to be getting franchised as well. But here's the thing. Let's just go to the very, very top. The Arizona Cardinals are a pretty terrible team. They've got a new um, coach. They have a lot of, their offensive line is trash. Their wide receiver group is Christian Kirk, who's pretty decent. Larry Fitzgerald is going to stick around for another year. They don't have anybody else. Their quarterback is not good. Uh, Johnson, their running back, is pretty solid, but for some reason he was terrible last year. They don't really have a tight end. Patrick Peterson is still solid, but their corners outside of that are, you know, suspect. Uh, Swearinger at safety is pretty decent, but Bethea is a joke at strong safety. Maybe that's a little harsh, but he's not super great. The linebackers aren't super good. The defensive line is not great, and Kemdichi, who is along the defensive line, supposedly might be getting... Bottom line is, they have a billion needs. No question in my mind Nick Bosa makes the most sense because you want to be able to get that guy, because you have an opportunity to get that guy. However, if an offer was made that would supply you with more picks, including two in this particular first round, is it possible they would take it? I would say that it's possible they would take it. I believe, and it seems like an incredible reach, and I, I don't know if it seems that possible that the Packers would actually go to this extent, but if we don't get somebody in free agency, and if there is that big of a need that Gutekunst is that driven, and I understand a lot of Packer fans are going to say, no, there's too many needs, we don't want to do that, and I'm, I'm with you. I'm just saying, if there was, you saw Arizona Cardinals, and then you saw a trade, is it possible that in your mind you'd be thinking the Green Bay Packers? Because essentially, if you look at the Packers package, these two first-round picks and a 2019 first, it would be, even though it's hard to project, or excuse me, a 2020 first, even though it would be really hard to project exactly what pick that would be, but if you add another pick 12 overall, the compensation for 
two 12s and a 30 is almost exactly what you would need to get up to a pick number one overall. Maybe they would want additional compensation. I don't know. But I don't think it would be that impossible, especially for a team that, again, needs a ton of, of capital. Meaning, it's not impossible that the Packers go up and get Nick Bosa as the first pick. Beyond that, however, Arizona, let's say they do pick Nick Bosa. San Francisco, a team that a lot of people are saying when I did my mock draft that I need to get up and on YouTube. The talk was that at this point, I think the best move is to trade out of this spot. Quinnen Williams is the obvious pick, but they don't need a defensive tackle. The, the right move is to let somebody else come up and get Quinnen Williams. The other option would be to get Josh Allen. Now, here's a question. Is it possible that if they're looking for a team to trade back with, and again, the, the common conception would be that somebody trades up and either gets Quinnen or whatever, but it's also quarterbacks. But if all the quarterbacks are satisfied, meaning the Jaguars aren't going to move up because they got Foles, and all these other teams don't really want to move up because the quarterbacks just aren't even worth that, even if you're considering taking them where you stand. Again, would it be possible the Packers package up, let's say, those three picks because now we're overpaying, but that's kind of what you got to do to move up in the first round anyways. But we move up to number two to get Josh Allen. Now, beyond this, it's kind of questionable because um, the odds that um, that Josh Allen survives too much further is kind of out of the question. It's not out of the question. They, they could... Quinnen could go, whatever. Maybe somebody treads up and takes Quinnen. Now at pick number three, there's a lot of question about would the Jets want to trade back. Why? Because the Jets need offense. Now they need a lot of stuff, but they have to get offense to help Darnold. They need wide receivers. They need offensive line help. The Jets are going to want to trade back. Could the Packers possibly be one of the teams that moves up if Bosa or Allen are still there? I know it seems impossible Bosa would still be there, but there's some talk about that. So in the first three picks, I'm looking at three teams that have reasons to move back. And what I am what I guess I'm getting at is, and again, we can pose this as a question if you'd like to chime in on it. Do you think for you, we'll split it into two parts. For you, is it a big enough need? Would you give up that much draft capital to move up and get Bosa? If you believed, or I guess, do you believe that he'd be worth that? In other words, he's, he's potentially Khalil Mack worthy. Some people are saying he's better than his brother, and his brother is very, very good. And if not him, is it worth moving up? If we're talking about the same compensation, we're talking about both of our firsts and next year's first to move up to two and get Josh Allen, would you do that? For me personally, I don't think I would, but I'm just curious what other people are thinking. And and the, the other question is, beyond what you think, do you think Brian Gutekunst would do something like that? Because ultimately, that's all that matters anyways, is what would, what would Brian Gutekunst do? WWBGD. <laughs> get those bracelets. Just bring that back. WWGD. What would Goot do? Every time I think about doing it, I just look at that bracelet and think, what would Goot do? But again, in my opinion, the Packers are beyond obsessed with the thought of, of needing to get pass rushers. I think that is Goot's primary. Maybe I'm misreading it, but it just seems like it. And then again, when the news came out that the Packers and I think one other team are going to be heavily going after the top prospects, it just reaffirmed this belief in me that Gutekunst is really, really really wanting to push for it. And if we don't get somebody in free agency, I don't think it's super out of the question. Again, I wouldn't personally do it, but I think Goot might be willing to pull the trigger on something super crazy, like trying to move up into the top three to get either Nick Bosa or Josh Allen. I don't think that's out of the question whatsoever. Especially if either of those guys fall to three and the Jets trade back, there's very little doubt in my mind. I mean, maybe Oakland makes a push. But as soon as I see that trade, and I think there's going to be one in the top three, whether it's for San Francisco, Arizona, or the Jets, I'm, my heart's just going to drop, man. Um, another team, not that I can really expect 
I, I don't know exactly what the Packers would want at this point, but Buffalo is similar in a similar boat to the Jets as far as needing offense. I'm not sure that there's going to be a lot of offense at that point. Um, Tampa Bay also needs a ton of stuff. So I don't know. I'm just I'm just throwing it out there because I'm saying I'm, what I'm saying is not very unlikely that we see the Packers move up in the draft. But it all is kind of contingent on how things fall. If there's a trade in the first two picks, or if Allen or Bosa fall out of the two first two picks, going to start panicking. In other words, as soon as I see trade and pick one or pick two, freaking out. If if Allen or Bosa fall out of pick one and two, I'm freaking out, thinking, please trade, please trade, please trade, please trade. Anyways, I'm going to leave it at that. You folks enjoy your Satra day. Talk to you tomorrow. Have a good one. Bye-bye.